This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. There we go. I was looking for the more country music for you, Ashley. Because I know that's what you like for the intro music is something a little more country. I've never said a little I more folky. I just said I didn't like things that were from the 70s or 80s. At the end of last week's episode, you specifically said that you wanted a country song for the intro. So I pulled this kind of country folky song specifically for you. Do you have that in writing or it's a it's document I will review the, the footage from last week or no oh I think it was after we went off the air after the show ended. I don't remember. I'll look at the end yeah. of that clip though, because I could have swore you said country music for your intro. Mmm. Don't do well, me like that. You can that. provide proof and I will believe you. Other than that, let's welcome Johnny and celebrate the fact he's here and let's do say it. Hi to everybody. Let's do it. Welcome, Johnny. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Why don't we let you introduce and tell everybody a little about yourself? Yeah, so that's always a challenging way to start a conversation is like, hey, sum up the last 30 years of your life in 30 seconds. I will do my very best to touch on highlights. Um, But the long story short is I grew up with a bunch of different mental health diagnoses I didn't start treatment until high school, even though I could have benefited from it much earlier. And I had a total rotten attitude in treatment because I didn't trust clinicians. I had all this um, self-stigma around what I was facing. I wound up going to school for psychology because God has a great sense of humor. And then I wound up um, pursuing work both in uh, volunteer on the volunteer side of mental health advocacy and then also public speaking in the mental health world, started volunteering with NAMI um, and all of these other organizations. I wound up starting a behavioral health company called Cope Notes that I've run for about four and a half years now. So basically mental health has been my whole life. It's just, I never really chose that it would be part of my life until just recently. I think that's an important and interesting point that you make that you never chose it to be your life but it's been a part of your life it's that's something i've thought about a lot in the recovery community it's like i never chose to make recovery my life i i love recovery um but at some point you know is it do we get to choose like can we walk away and and not look the other way and choose a different life i I don't know the answer i'm just you know, brainstorming, I'm like, our passions kind of choose us. I was talking to my therapist about how I remember one time I said something like, um, I have no choice but to work in behavioral health, because of what's happened to me. And he said, that's where you're wrong, you do. 
you absolutely have a choice. And all of us could turn around and walk away and be like, that's it. I'm done with this onto a new chapter of my life. But because we feel so passionate about this, because we keep showing up day after day to do the work on ourselves and in our community, my therapist was like, don't underestimate the power of that choice because you go from being like a victim of behavioral health issues to now being like, no, I'm actively making a choice to prioritize this and to focus on it. And it was like, it was such an empowering thing for me because I used to think of it as an obligation. And he's like, no, that's, that's an opportunity. That's a choice that you're making every day. And I was like, heck yeah, you're absolutely right. I make that choice, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a great way to reframe it. And it's, you know, it's why I like to volunteer and don't want to work in the field. Cause I'm like, I don't want to ever that be my income and I have to do it a certain mm -hmm. way or I can't walk away. I, I donate services for free so that if I decide I want to walk away, I can. It doesn't make much sense to most people, but it makes me feel like I'm choosing to show up and that empowering. He's blend. I'm sorry. I missed whatever that was. Was it background or did you say something? I'm sorry. No, it was me that said sorry. Yeah, I think that was Jason's radio. Oh, okay. Trying to fix this fucking phone. It's going crazy, guys. <laughs> we're, glad you could, we're glad you could join us, even though you're still stuck at work, Jason. Glad to have you on, man. So I would love to hear more about Cope Notes. Oh, and Jason's gone. I would love to hear more about Cope Notes and what it is, uh, like what what who who it's aimed for what the idea behind it is just kind of give us some more information on on that yeah so super high level um cope notes uses text messages to improve mental and emotional health and the details behind that are actually super freaking interesting um so all of the text messages that we send are written by peers with lived experience so we have that peer support component baked in and then they are reviewed by clinicians to make sure that they're based on proven psychological principles, they're trauma-informed, um, and really a text message could contain an exercise, a journaling prompt, a psychology fact, some type of actionable health education information that's, again, written by peers, review, reviewed by clinicians. And then, maybe this is the coolest part, at least to me, these messages are delivered at random times so that no two people ever get the same text at the same time. And what this does is act as an EMI or ecological momentary intervention. Basically, those randomly timed messages interrupt negative thought patterns to catalyze positive thought. And it actually helps your brain form new neural pathways associated with coping skills and resilience. So if you've ever read about um, cognitive restructuring or neuroplasticity or brain training, this is exactly that, but anonymous and affordable and with a laser focus on mental and emotional health. So we do that for individuals like you and me, all the way up to huge groups like hospital systems and governments and beyond. Wow, that's awesome. And I was looking here on the website at just the, the little sample message where it says everything will be okay doesn't mean only good things will happen to you. It means we'll figure it out, adapt and survive. It's what humans do best. Like that's, that's cool, man. I like I like I the idea behind that. And and the fact that you said it has the randomized timing and that nobody, it's not just like one big mass text where everybody gets the same message. Like that's, that's really cool, man. And I can tell you at 3 49 PM, the one I got today, 
Those vacations reset your brain's um, neural pathways. Don't wa don't waste your next day off stressing about work or school. Taking a break isn't selfish; is responsible. And it was yeah, part of something I needed to hear. Definitely, we just talked about saying no right before we started recording. Like one of the cool things about cope notes in my opinion is that it's not always the message that comes in that rocks you um that sometimes does happen i don't want to discount that sometimes you get a message and go wow what are the odds i got a message about this today but sometimes it's the persistent positive reinforcement it's a consistent input that voice that builds up cumulati cumulatively over time and makes those positive thoughts feel less foreign and makes um, negative thoughts feel less natural. So I get really excited when I talk to people who are like, you know what? I got a message the other day and I was like, meh, not really thinking too hard about that one. Just going to lob it over to my subconscious for later. And then a week and a half later, something happens in their life and they go, oh, I got a cope notes text about this. And it creates this like cool resource bank in the back of your mind for if and when things go wrong, you know, some healthy ways of reframing and coping with them. Yeah, which is funny. I mean, yesterday at 2.52, when someone says, don't get your hopes up, ask, why not? Hope is a confident expectation that good things are coming. What are you hopeful for this month? So that was hope yesterday. What are you hopeful for this month, Ashley? Hmm. I am hopeful that people will start realizing that coming together is important and connection is important and division is harmful. And when we disagree, um, we don't get anything done. We need to come together and collaborate and work together because no one has all the answers. Ain't that the truth? Is that too big of a wish? Because I believe it's possible. No, man. I said this month. What are you hopeful for this month? So we got a lot of work to do. We got 19 days to work some magic. Sorry, I didn't have my bell ready in time. <laughs> I do think people are starting to realize um, the power of coming together. I mean, and I think it's great that you mentioned peer support and clinicians for Cope Notes because a lot of times there's this competition. Sometimes it's like peer sync, the lived experience is more important than the clinician's education and their experience. And, and that's not the role. The role is that the, the peers lived experience can help the clinician see it from a different angle and together mm -hmm. they come up with solutions that benefit people. And the clinicians have to respect the lived experience and the, the people with lived experience need to respect clinicians education. And if one side doesn't respect the other, the other side won't, respect and it doesn't help anyone yeah i picture it like a bicycle like can you imagine people saying oh the front wheel is the most important and some people saying the back wheel is the most important and it's like bro do you know how much easier it is to ride a bicycle than a unicycle like if you pick the front wheel and try to ride just on that you might be able to do it but you're going to fall way more it's going to be way harder to learn and i'm actually i'm testing for my um peer recovery specialist certification in a couple weeks. And as part of the training, wow. they talk about how important it is for um, 
peers and clinicians to work together hand in hand. Even in the peer recovery specialist certification training, it says your perspective is invaluable, but it is not the only perspective that is needed at the table. And I'm like, dude, preach. Like I am, I am a huge proponent of, like you said, working together. It's a perfect example of that. Um, collaboration that you're talking about, not choosing the side of the peer, choosing the side of a clinician, but choosing the side of the client and doing what's best for them. I'm like, yeah, preach. I can tell you about a collaboration between a clinician that I had the other day was, they said, there's nothing I can do for this patient. I've done everything I possibly know how to do. They're still depressed. There's nothing I can do to help them. And I said, well, how long have you been seeing them for? And they told me, and I said, they're still showing up to appointments. Well, yeah. I said, I'm going to tell you when I believed that there was no hope, all I could do was lay in bed and I would not have gone to an appointment mm. um, I, when I didn't believe that there was anything possible to save me. I would have not gotten out of bed, even if it was a virtual doctor's appointment, because being in bed is a lot more comfortable than dealing with, I said, so they obviously have some hope that you can help them even if they don't show you that they're hopeful or, or what the, I said, don't give up because they're still showing up and it, totally. it completely changed their, their mind frame. They're like, you really think they have hope? And I'm like, yeah, if they, they believe that there was nothing you could do for them, they would stop coming. Heck yeah. And they were able to come with fresh energy the next time. And, that wasn't me doing anything clinical. That was, I've been there. I know what it's like. I'm telling you, you don't show up when, when you don't believe that there's anything that someone can do to help. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Or you're not going to reach out either. You know, what's tripping me out, you guys, is I've been just sitting here quietly listening and I'm waiting because I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to be rude and interrupt where you, you were flowing, but I needed, I need to tell you guys something. And it's weird because as I'm listening, first you're talking about Cope Notes, which I think is an awesome idea, dude. And thank you for the work you do with that. But you were talking about, um, oh, this is driving me nuts. So what? You were saying something. God, I'm fucking going to bike. Well, anyway, I just got a call from my brother and sister. My mom is apparently dying like maybe in a few days or something so um oh yeah you were talking about how it's not selfish to take time for you right um as you're saying that i'm sitting here waiting to tell you guys what's going on and that i just wanted to at least pop in and let you guys know that i love you and i appreciate being able to be a part of this and and that I had all, every intention of doing this whole episode, but that I am going to need to bow out because I need to call my boss so I can take the day off tomorrow so I can meet my brother and sister at the hospital and um, we have to have a care meet with her, her doctor and, decide, and talk to mom and explain this to her and uh, find out what her final wishes are. How can we support you? What do you need from us? 
you showed up for us. What can we do for you? So, I don't know, you know, you always support me. You guys are there for me all the time. I love you guys. So, uh, you already do it. You know, we continue doing it. This ain't about me, but it's it's just fucking hard. And then you were talking about this hope, that hope. My mom's been staying in such good spirits this whole time. And I know it's because she's got Lord. And, you know, my recovery led her to the Lord. I got to baptize her. And, uh, I'm just glad she has peace with it. But I don't know. I don't. I don't have peace with it. So, anyway. Sorry, I didn't mean to break down. You don't have anything to be sorry for or to apologize. There's probably other people listening that are struggling and you being able to say life is hard and it's a hard situation is honest and it's right. helpful. Well, and the big thing is that I get to show up today. I don't have to sit. Locked in a room with a needle in my arm and wishing I could be there. I'm part of this. I helped take care of her all winter through the treatments. And I haven't been around much, you know, since construction season started, but I still show up for her and I will continue to show up for her. Oh, fuck yeah, I'm taking the day off tomorrow. I told my brother and sister, I'm like, we can bring a bunch of blankets and have a fucking slumber party. Build a fucking fort, blanket fort with mom, dude. Let's do it. Let's go. You know, it's going to be good. I just hope they're wrong. They think she has a fungal infection in her lungs right now. And she's neutropenic. So she's got nothing. She's got nothing to fight. So this isn't good. <laughs> Me and my brother and sister, you know, we we are closer than ever before in our lives, and it's because of my recovery. It's because of my brother's recovery. Because normally my sister wouldn't even want to bring come around, you know, because my nephew's my find a needle whatever but um it's just awesome that we get to be together and and uh be there for each other all of us you know be there for mom but johnny bro thank you for everything you're doing and Appreciate the hell out of you guys, all of you. I love you, Brett. Love you, Ash. Love you, Johnny. And uh, I'm going to go. And I'm going to call my boss. He's calling. 
send your bots a text message and 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 enjoy the moments you have and with your family. He'll deal with the text message. Let me know if you need me to do anything for you. If you need me to call him, I will. I appreciate you. You guys have a great rest of your interviews. And uh, I don't, I was going to say sorry to crash it, but no, I'm not sorry because I wanted to let you guys know. And uh, thanks for holding that space so I could share and let that out, let you all know what was going on. All right. Thank you for coming. Well, yeah. See ya. Life is hard sometimes, and I think we all need to acknowledge pretending that it's rainbows is, but you wake up the next day and there's something, if you start looking for things to be grateful for, there's always something. And not every day is good, but there's good in every day. I think that was like something I read a year ago and I saw it a couple of days ago and it's so true. Well, even there, Jason was sharing gratitude for, you know, being in recovery, being able to be present, being able to be around his family, you know, even even in the bad times, he's still still sharing those moments, those little pieces of, of what he's grateful for and being able to be present in the moment. And I think that that's so huge. It is huge. I would have wanted to to numb in that situation years ago. It would have been the first thought on my mind. It wouldn't have been to show up to tell someone I couldn't be there or even to call my boss or it would be like, I, I need to not feel what's going on. And, you know, recovery gives us the gift of not needing to numb. You know, you, there's some really hard feelings that hurt really bad, but there's also some great feelings and, you know, we get to experience them all. Well, Johnny, have you ever had a time when, you know, was maybe so I'll bring this to the business world. It's so when you develop a business plan and you you create something that you're going to sell or a product, service, whatever it is, you normally look for, there's, there's a reason, there's a gap, there's something in the community that you need to fill or else, if someone else is already doing it, why would you create it unless you're going to make it better? So how, what made you realize there was a gap and, and what, how did you come up with the idea to to utilize code notes to fill that gap? I think something that was frustrating for me was that I, a lot of the onus to get better always seemed like it was on me. Kind of like you mentioned earlier, Ashley, um, in the days when you were really depressed, it was tough to engage with care. It's tough to show up to appointments. It's tough to reach out to somebody. And that's the advice that we give people every day, which blows my mind. We say, um, you know, Brett, if things get really tough, uh, just reach out and ask for help. And 
I have no idea where we got that idea. It's kind of like saying, um, you know, Brett, if you fall and break your ankle, all you have to do is climb to the top of Mount Everest. And there's a great hospital up there. It's like you're asking somebody to take initiative when the challenge that they're facing is preventing them from taking that initiative. And that's what I really struggled with is, you know, I might have, you know, a a good day today and I might be motivated to change. I might be motivated to pursue recovery today, but can I guarantee that I'll feel that way tomorrow or the next day or the next day? No, like life happens. And I wanted to create something that was proactive. So rather than um, waiting for me to reach out and make a decision to engage with care. I wanted something to come to me to be proactive and to reach out to me. And that's ultimately why I created cope notes was, um, to fill the gaps. Like if I have a good day with my therapist and then I have six days and 23 hours in between where I'm backsliding and losing progress. I wanted something with me just for a minute every day to help with that consistency. And I think that's a great point that you brought up because it can be so difficult to ask for that help. I know in my own personal experience in recovery, it was difficult in the beginning to admit that I had a problem and to then find that courage to ask for help. Cause it's like, I don't want to admit that I failed. I don't want to admit where my life has gone and what's, you know, these bad decisions that I've made. I don't, I don't want to admit to those things. I don't want to own up to those things. And I don't really know what the help looks like. You know, it's frightening. It's scary. I don't know what my life is going to be when I ask for this help. And that that's a great point. Like what, why are we expected to ask for that help? Like you said, like that, that I love that point. Yeah. And even to build on that, it's, um, we expect people to reach out the way we want them to reach out and in the way we want them to ask for help. And when you're already going through that, there's already so much shame. You're already hard enough on yourself. You're beating yourself up. You don't need to feel like you have to answer to anybody else. The fact that you can just, somebody can check in and say, Hey, I'm here. If you need me, you know, no need to respond. If you, you know, let them know you're there. If they feel it's safe, if they know you're not going to judge, they're more likely to reach out when they're ready. And by pounding it in their head, I mean, when you tell me I have to do something or you, you're checking in on me, I feel like I'm being micromanaged and it's like, it's not helpful. It, it's suffocating. Yeah, the the not needing to respond thing was really big when we created cope notes. So a lot of people don't know this, but I ran a beta version of cope notes that was called not a therapist. And I ran that for about a year. It was a peer support resource digital. And a lot of people said what you just said. They said, I don't like feeling like I have to respond. Like I owe somebody a response because now it becomes like, now it's a thing on my to-do list. I feel pressure. I want my response to be uh, worded the right way. And I get in my head about everything. And I was like, man, I didn't realize that this was creating pressure, but it also creates a different challenge. Like imagine, um, Ashley, let's say you decide I'm going to support Brett every day for a year. I'm going to text him 
something positive, something encouraging. I'm going to reach out and lift them up every day for a whole year. I can almost guarantee that you won't. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's because of human nature. If I reach out to Brett every single day for a week and he doesn't respond, I'll be like, oh yeah, I hope he's reading them. I mean, I don't know. I want to feel validated in some way, but he hasn't responded. If I do it every day for a month, I'm like, who knows if Brett is even reading these? I don't even know if I need to keep doing it. 300 days in to texting Brett, I'll take a Sunday off. I'm not going to text Brett today. I don't really feel like it. He hasn't responded to me anyway. So I wanted to find a way to solve for that with Cope Notes. And the solution was the digital journaling component, which is we reach out to you once a day, no matter what. And you only text us back when you feel like it, if you feel like it. So no lie, Ashley, we have some subscribers like me. I text back once a week, twice a week or something, because I journal in a Google Doc. So I have my own separate journaling method. We have other people who text back, I'm not making this up, 70 times a day. They load that Cope Notes text thread with whatever, because that's the way they journal is through text. And I wanted to make it optional because if it was if it required input, if it said, we're only going to send you tomorrow's text message if you journal today. All of a sudden, it does create that pressure, that onus, like you owe something. And we underestimate when we tell a buddy, when we say, Ashley, if you're struggling, reach out. We don't realize that we're tasking them with something. Mm. Mm. That's a you know, great way to think about it. And it's, you know, it's a great point. I don't, I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way, that we're tasking them when we tell them to reach out. So... That's something important to think about. Um, I've never responded, for the record. I've had a subscription for over a year and never written back. Um, and there's another cool element to it that is the way I utilize it is for family members, they want to be able to help somebody that's struggling. Mm -hmm. And they it makes them feel like there's it's chaos or they can do something for the person they love and they want to do something. So they want to do stuff their way or what they need by able, by telling them, Hey, if you all you have to do is put their phone number in and you are able to provide, you know, positive information to this person, you know, they're getting it. Um, you know, that they're seeing, you can tell them that you, you bought it for them. You don't have to tell it, it can be not anonymous. Um, but it makes family members feel like they're able to do something without micromanaging somebody that's struggling. And it's, it's a great technique to help both sides. Dude. So a lot of times we hear from parents, we hear moms say like, listen, if I texted my teenager every day, they would block my number. They would cancel their phone plan. Like, and there, there is something valuable about that third party. Um, feeling like you're not a burden. Like if I, I'm not going to lie, if my mom texted me every day, I would feel like it was a burden for her. Like, oh, she feels like she has to do this thing for me. And Cope Notes being anonymous, being that third party thing really helps solve for that. What our brains lie to us is that somebody's just trying to do something nice, like just sending us a text message. I know myself, I'm like, do they think I can't handle? Do they think they need to help? Like, you know, instead of just being, you know, like, 
oh, that's nice. They wanted to do something yeah. for me. I, you know, so so by able, you know, to be able to come through a third party, it's like they don't know if I'm writing back. They don't know if you know. So there's there's no obligation. There's no there. It's just a gift with no expectations, and I don't feel like they're checking up because that doesn't check up on me. So they're not trying to do it for that. Yeah, I think feeling, this is going to sound kind of dramatic, but feeling free from surveillance means a lot. To me, it's a big reason why Cope Notes is anonymous and we don't collect personal health information because I remember being in treatment settings and feeling like these people knew freaking everything. They knew my height. They knew my weight. They knew my address. They saw my permanent record. And I felt I felt like um, like violated almost like there was nothing that I could choose to keep from me because they had access to everything. And that's a lot of times that's kind of the nature of healthcare. I will admit there were times when I was in crisis and I'm very glad that they had all of that information. They needed my medical information. They needed to know my, my medicines and what dosages I was taking of each. They needed to know that. I'm thankful they did. But I can completely empathize with someone who says, I don't like somebody knowing all of those things about me. I like not feeling surveilled and checked up on all the time. Um, because honestly, what I would do is in those situations, I would simply lie. So if my mom would check with me and I, I distinctly remember that I, and I, this is such a, a frustrating memory because I lied right to my mom. My mom asked me, this was after um, a relatively serious uh, behavioral outburst. Um, my mom asked me, it was at the breakfast table. This is when I was in high school. Um, she asked me before I left for school, I'm just wondering if you have had any more suicidal thoughts lately. And I was like, I'm done having this conversation with you. I do not want to talk to my mom about suicide. And I was just like, no, I'm all, I, I don't think about it anymore. I'm all good. Let's never talk about it again. And it was kind of this, this desire to distance myself from feeling checked up on, which is sad because she was, she was expressing care. She was like, I want to support, but I was so touchy that I'm like, I wish you wouldn't ask about it at all. And I, I lied in order for us to stop having the conversation. That's how uncomfortable I was. Yeah, and, and sometimes you can't tell the truth even if you want to because... So for me, I, I was struggling with something. It's in like February, March, and reaching out to you know, people in the recovery community and them saying, you know, me being able to say what I was struggling with, they're like, that sucks. I've been there. I felt like that. And it was the most freeing thing for my feelings to be validated. And it's okay to have a sucky day. Like, we're not worried you're going to do this. And, and that was probably what saved me from a recurrence or, or anything. Um, but if I would have told a family member, they would have been so worried that I was going to do something I had no intention of doing. I just wanted to, you know, I just needed to acknowledge that I was having a hard time and it'd be okay that I was having a hard time and not needing to be perfect. And, 
but it would have created this chaos and the situation where it would have led to to bad outcomes if I would have been reached out and said, hey, I'm struggling with this. And, and so being able to say, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time is, is not, you know, weak. I love your word choice of saying, you said something like um, your, your people you reach out to said like, oh, we're not worried about whatever. And I just hear the word worry. And I think like one of the most tremendous votes of confidence that we can give to our friends and family members who are, who are struggling in their recovery is to, to simply say, you don't, I, at least for me, I would say, I wouldn't say I'm worried about you, Ashley, because that communicates a lack of confidence in your ability to be resilient and to thrive. But saying, just switching it slightly, and instead of saying, I'm worried about you, say, I care about you, Ashley. That is a huge difference with just one little word choice because now it's not, I don't know if you're gonna get through this. It's, I am invested in watching you get through this. It's such a, it's such a vote of confidence. And words matter. We don't always think that they do, but they really do. It it can change the whole context of a conversation. I'm actually going to write that down. I like that worry versus care. I want to like do a little journal entry about that tonight and just kind of think through it. That's cool. So I, I was curious, you were talking a little bit about the journaling aspect of Cope Notes. So is there a way where you can go back and look at the, the message that you sent, or is that just going to be in the text thread that you have with Cope Notes? Yeah, so that's one of my, again, one of my favorite parts of Cope Notes is that it's all in a text thread. So you can scroll back through the conversation and find things. And that is a really cool experience for anyone who has Cope Notes and has not done that yet to scroll back. I do it sometimes if I'm like waiting in line somewhere, I'm sitting stuck in traffic at this light that I know is going to be another three minutes, five minutes or whatever. Um, I'll go through my Cope Notes thread and read a message from last week or I scroll a little further and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when that came in. And it's a really cool like archive. It basically becomes this book that you can scroll through and see previous journal entries and see um, previous interventions from Cope Notes. And I've actually been, I've done that before and came across a message that I got, you know, maybe three weeks ago, three months ago. And I go, wow, that hits different today. Whoa, within the context of what's going on at work, I can't even believe that I received this three months ago, not knowing how much value it would bring me today, three months mm. later. Mm. very cool that's really cool and i think it's a great concept um using technology um you know it's it's becoming more and more common um in the mental health space gamification um apps virtual reality meta you know metaverse um there's just so much that um opening up the possibilities for people. And um, it's it's really important in utilizing peer support and clinicians because there's a lot of apps out there that aren't evidence-based and they're not, um, they don't have that oversight. And even insurance companies will, will have that as part of their plan. And it's, that's great. It's a, a great additional resource, but people believe that those are evidence-based 
and a lot of them are not. Yeah, one of the challenges in tech, and we found this to be true, is, you know, in the first few years of building a solution, people are like, we won't work with you until there's an evidence base. And it's like, well, how do we establish an evidence base if we can't work with anybody? So then you appeal to uh, research institutions and universities and we say, hey, we have this solution and we want to we want to test it out and collect data. And they say, well, you better give us some money to do it. And we're like, well, we can't have money unless we contract with somebody. And these people won't contract with us unless we have an evidence base. So I remember talking to USF early on. This was in our first year. And we were like, what do we do? And they were like, you just have to get out there in the community and get people to use it and collect data yourself to raise enough. Like, I guess you have to raise money to do research. So that's going to come for like, you're going to pay for that with revenue, but also you need reps. You need people using cope notes, giving you feedback. So I remember the first 25 subscribers, 50 subscribers, it was like pulling teeth because it was hard to get people to try something new. And they said, well, it's so new. No one's used it before. And I'm like, well, how do I get people to use it if no one's used it? And so fortunately over time we hit, I remember we hit 100 subscribers, 250, 500, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. And in all of those milestones, it was still a challenge to collect some of that data. And only now, actually, our, our quantitative study is being published in the Journal of Mental Health later this quarter. And think about it. I started working on this. If you include the two beta versions that existed, Better People and Not a Therapist, and then Cope Notes. I've been working on this for six years. And I'm putting out, we're putting out a quantitative study. Um, we're publishing a quantitative study at the end of a six year. We're, and, and USF told me, do you understand how fortunate you are that it only took this long, that some companies have to wait five years, seven years, 10 years, 12 years to get some of this research. in. do you know how lucky you are? And I was like, how the heck are we supposed to innovate with tech? Because on one hand, you do not want to put like flood the marketplace with a bunch of high tech junk. That's not actually going to help anybody, especially when it comes to recovery. You can't afford that. It's too dangerous, too high stakes to do that. But on the other hand, you need really willing, active in research institutions to say, you know what, even though it's new and even though this company doesn't have a ton of money, I believe in the idea and I want to see if we can do research on that. And I, I want to give credit publicly to USF for working with us on a limited budget, especially we started working on research stuff in 2019 together and is 2022. So this has taken years. And trust me when I say we did not show up with a million dollar check and say, oh yeah, you know, my rich uncle gave me this or some venture capital firm gave me this. It was really revenue that we generated from selling Cope Note subscriptions that all went back into research and development to make sure that what we're doing is actually changing lives. And it, without a without a university like USF throwing us a bone like that and giving us a chance um, working with us on a limited budget, who knows if we'd have any evidence base at all. I know that the, the data component and the, you know, the backup and I mean, I'm even, I'm, I'm not even talking about having the data to be considered evidence-based. I'm 
you know, I was saying utilizing evidence-based supports to structure it, but I mean, in technology, it, by the time you can get data, it, it's obsolete. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, wild, it's yeah. something new. And, and the field is so slow to recognize like that the importance of some of the stuff and and I'm not saying that some people don't recognize it, but it's 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 got to be frustrating because I know personally I've taken Cope Notes to several organizations and told them the value that it would bring and told tell you know and it's not very expensive and and they balk at the price. So what am I going to get for that? How can I prove and uh, just like you spend more money on a lot of things that don't work either and that are obsolete and that people don't read or they like marketing material that's just sitting on a table that people don't read. And, you know, you could have it QR code and save a lot of money and invest it this way. And it's just getting people to open their minds is really hard. So I'm sure that's been a struggle and I, I give you props because. Yeah. I, seen it we um we had a call earlier today with a company that i'm not joking i am not making this up i won't name them they spend more on uh their friday weekly pizza lunches on one week of that than they would spend on a full year of cope notes for all their employees and they were like, well, we don't really know. And I'm like, dude, what? You'd rather buy 52 pizza parties, which honestly sounds pretty great now that I say it out loud. Now I'm starting to see the appeal. Pizza once a week sounds awesome. But no, 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 I'm sorry. It's not 52 pizza parties. It's one pizza party worth of funding for an entire 52 weeks of mental health support for the entire employee base. And they also said, oh, yeah, we have a... um." a popular meditation app that we paid for, for all of our employees. And then the people on the call said, um, and this was like executives on the call. They said, Oh, I, I forgot we even had that. I haven't used that in like since last year. And a few other people were like, Oh, I never even downloaded it. And it's like these employers and these large organizations are so stuck in the old way of doing things that they figure let's just roll out some high tech app type of a thing and just check a box like it's done but they forget to check if anyone's actually using it and i'm i'm actually praying that when we do get this um this study published here in the next month or two that we can take it to those same employers and be like listen we're not making this up we can show right here, look, decreased depression, decreased anxiety, decreased stress, increased resilience, increased coping skills. Like this is real. I didn't make this up. We didn't collect this data. This is real science. And I'm taking it back and saying, isn't a full year of this worth more than a pizza? And well, some employers will say no, but I think a lot of them, once they look at that study, will go, oh, this guy, we've known him for five years and now we believe him. Well, and I think it's important that they, you know, challenge them to ask their people. You know, people like to be heard and have an opinion. Hey, would you guys be willing to try this one week instead of a pizza party? We'll give this to you for a year. We won't have pizza this week, but that's our budget. Um, 
How would you feel about that? And see what they say. If they don't want it and they want their pizza party, okay. That that's what they want. That's listen to your people. But if if they want to take a chance and try something new, maybe they're on diets and they don't want pizza, or maybe they're gluten free or and they haven't said it for a really long time and they're pissed that you keep choosing pizza instead of yeah. Let, yeah. Both. And Why this is this is coming from someone who my my dog's name, I named her. I named her Pepperoni Pizza. That's her legal name. My dog's name is Pepperoni Pizza. I love pizza so much. Favorite food. And I would give up one pizza party for an entire year of support. But the challenge is like we are in the recovery world and the recovery community. So we have a different understanding. The challenge becomes taking what we know to be true in our lived experience with our friends, with our family members, with our colleagues, what we've experienced firsthand, taking that and translating it for these decision makers who sit in corner offices and wear suits and have had what they like us to believe to be a very cushy life when in fact you and I both know they've faced challenges and it's appealing to them on a human level and saying, Hey, listen, you don't have to pretend to be perfect because no one who works for you is perfect. No one you've ever met is perfect and helping them tap into that humanity inside of them that goes, you know what? I really could use a little support. And I bet a lot of our employees could too. It's kind of like, um, if you've ever met someone, you know, can you imagine me um, talking to Brett about brushing teeth? And he's, Brett would go, oh, I never brush my teeth. Ugh, no, my, my teeth are nice and wide. I don't have any cavities, so I just don't even brush them. We go like, what the heck? Are you kidding me? What a bad strategy. And that's that's what people do with mental health all the time. Mm. Yeah, and I think decision makers are led to believe that, or they are so used to making decisions for others, they they stop asking what their people need. And I don't think it's intentional. I think they're trying to do the best thing they can. And they're trying to, it's, my employees really like pizza. Like, I really don't want to change it. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And I really do think my employees need this, but I really hate breaking their heart for pizza. And, you know, I, I have this amount of budget for employee appreciation and, if I take away their pizza, I feel like I'm punishing them. Well, if you ask them what they would rather have, you're not mm -hmm. punishing them. You're you're actually respecting what they totally. want and you're appreciating their opinion. Totally. Making decisions is so hard. And I think you know, it's a hard thing. We, you know, it's easy to say, um, I would only do this if I was in that situation, but I'm telling you, like, I've been in some high-pressure decision-making places, and I'm like, I wish I just didn't have to decide. Like, it would be so nice to not have to decide anything for a whole day. So I think having empathy for how hard it is to just make these decisions maybe would help them, too. And Uh, I'm gonna get yelled at by Brett because I I think he told me we he was he's giving me the time down that you had to be gone by a certain time for something and I don't want to get in trouble for talking too much. Hey, you got one minute. 
Don't don't make me start the stopwatch. Well, why don't you tell everyone where they can find Cope Notes and and how they can learn more about it and. Yeah, definitely. So um, if you go to copenotes.com, you can learn about what it is and how it works. You can also try it for free. You can give a subscription to a friend or family member if you want. And then um, if you feel like watching a TED Talk tonight, if you go to YouTube and type in my name, Johnny Crowder, you'll find two of my TED Talks there for stream. Um, I really encourage you to watch them. One is more about neuroscience if you're a nerd like me. And one is more about... um, suicidal ideation and it's literally called why I don't want to die anymore. So it's talking about reframing some of those thoughts and rethinking the logic behind um, some of my suicidal thoughts as I was growing up. And um, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn on Instagram. I'm at Johnny Crowder loves you. Um, And then if you want to learn about my speaking stuff, you can go to johnnycrowder.com and that's enough links. I think. That's probably yeah. a lot already. And I know it's your time. So if you can't respond now, if you do it on LinkedIn, I had somebody that was wanting um, advice on how to do a TED Talk. They'd written a book. They'd done this. Right, so I tagged you. So if you see the notification there, maybe you can give them a tip on how to get a TED Talk. Gotcha. Very, very cool. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for thank watching. Yeah. Thank you for coming. coming. All right, my friends. Take care. All right. Have a good one, man. Bye. Are we ready to wrap this up, Ashley? Yeah. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. It's been a good night, and it has been a good night. It's nice sometimes. It has been a good night. Thank you for everybody that tuned in tonight. Remember, if you are watching us on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe. Click the bell notification so you know when we go live. Which, if you guys haven't figured it out yet. It is every Thursday night. If you guys would like to send us a voice message, you can go to the address that's on your screen, speak-2.us slash RRL, and you can leave up to a three-minute message. We can play that on the show if that's something that you'd like us to do, or you can just leave us a comment, a concern, anything like that. Um And I keep forgetting to remind everybody that we do put out the audio version of the broadcast as a podcast, and the listens have been down quite a bit since Facebook took away the ability to have that automatically upload to the Facebook page. But if that's something that you guys are interested in, you want to take us on the road, uh, you know, listen to us on your commute or whatever, be sure to search for Recovery Revolution Live in your favorite podcast player. Jason also has another podcast that he does called The Way Out Podcast. Be sure to check that out. They release an episode every week. And I also do my own solo podcast. I release an episode every Wednesday. It's called Recovery Survey. So go ahead and check out those podcasts if you guys are looking for some great recovery content, maybe some uplifting stuff to listen to in the car or while you're at the gym, wherever it may be. Uh, you know, I found for me that I like to listen to podcasts cause I'm in the car all day and I like to have some uplifting stuff to keep me in that positive attitude, keep me in that, that space of gratitude and help keep me focused on, on just the, the good things in life instead of dwelling on all that negative stuff. So I think it's a great resource. If that's something that you guys would be interested in, please be sure to check that out. And we appreciate you guys watching the episode tonight. Thank you again to Johnny. I'm going to be sure to check out Cope Notes after this episode's over because uh, 
that's a great great tool to add to that toolkit so i appreciate him coming on and sharing about that and uh we will see you guys again next thursday remember guys progress not perfection